That was pretty cool. And it's great just to, to come together and, and just worship God. Just, I mean, it's those, those words you've got to go like, man, and the cross changes everything. So, uh, yeah. Um, welcome. If you're a visitor today, um, welcome to Crossroads. If not, man, we've got beautiful weather. I know half of you want to go out camping or be out there, but it's good to get together. It's good to, to come and worship together. So welcome. And yeah, as we uh, celebrate Memorial Day, I think it's, it's, it's so key that we remember uh, just that our freedom is not free um, in, in every sense of the word. So um, before I go into the message, I, I want to pray just that God would open up His word, um, that Paul's letter to, this, to the Philippians would really, we'd really understand it. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the beauty of your creation. And thank you for your word. Thank you that you inspired Paul to write this, this letter to the Philippians. And Lord, it, it has so much meaning to them, but it has so much meaning to us. This is your word to us today here in Grimes at Crossroads. This is your word to every single person in this room this morning. This is your word to me. So, Father, I pray that as we read your word, Lord, we submit to your word. We pray that your word would change us. Would your word disrupt our, our lives and our thinking? And would, you, would your word, yeah, change us and make us more like you, Jesus? Yeah, thanks for your word. Amen. So uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, we've been saying, is, was a very personal letter, very, very intimate letter. Um, it, it was pretty informal. Uh, he was just like writing to friends. And um, Paul comes right out here in the, in the beginning of the letter. We're going to be in, still in chapter 1, verses like 7 through 11. Paul's going to come right out and say, hey, Philippians, I love you. And, and, and you've got you to just take a step back and go like, okay, who's this guy who's saying, hey, Philippians, I love you? And remember, remember Paul's story? And he was not a very loving guy um, at all. I mean, he was out there with, with letters to go and, and imprison and torture and, and ultimately kill Christians. I don't think Paul was a very loving guy. I don't think he grew up in a very loving home. He was kind of one of those, you know, guys were like, oh, I'm going to go out and, 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 and get stuff done. And so imagine how hard, um, if it wasn't for the gospel, <laughs> how hard it would have been for Paul to say, hey, Philippians, I love you. But that's exactly what he says. He comes out and he says, um, I love you. And, and, and I want to unpack, what does that mean this morning? What does it mean for Paul to say to the Philippian believers, I love you? See, when we hear this word love, and, and, and you've heard loads of sermons on it, and you've heard read lots of stuff, and you've read all the mushy Valentine's poems, and, and, and we say it, we say this word, I love you a lot, but what does it mean? What does it mean? And what did it mean when Paul was writing it? And he's going to unpack this, this love a little bit. But I think, um, you know, we, we use this word for so many things, like, you know, we love this pizza or this chocolate, or we love this pair of shoes, or we love this race, or we love this this car, or, or, or maybe we, we say to our kids, we say to our parents, we say to our friends, uh, maybe we together, we say, oh, I just, I love that person. But what does it mean? And, and I think 
even just thinking about it over time, has the, the, the meaning of love, of this word, kind of changed over time? Like, if you think about what was, what was it like in the Victorian age when folks said, I love you? you know, did folks even say that? Or, or was it more shown by the actions? I think, um, you know, as believers, we, we, we're familiar with, you know, there's different definitions, different words that are used for love. And so you have agape love, which is, is kind of God's kind of love, this, this supernatural, heavenly love that God loves with. Um, you have filia or storge, it's kind of the, the friendship, um, committed love. Um, you have eros, the, the sexual erotic love. But, but in our culture, when we say, when we say this word, um, what is our view of love? How do we, how do we understand it? And, and what does it mean to us? Um, and I, I think as our view of love has changed, so has its expression, so has what we believe love is. And so if you think about our culture and, and think about the world we live in, think about the definition of marriage. You know, that, that would almost be for most folks we'd say, Love is, is, is kind of epitomized in marriage. But our culture's definition of marriage is changing. And it has changed, if you're not aware of it. What about our definition of, or, or our value of commitment in marriage, in, in, as parents to children, as children to aging parents? Um, even, even our sexuality, our culture has shifted so much. And how does that affect um, what we say is love? Because I think, I think it, 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 it works backwards. Our culture is, is redefining love for us. And I think I spend a lot of time just praying and, and like, what does it mean to be loving today in, in terms of the culture? And I think, I think where, where we've kind of headed is, is that today love means acceptance. If you say, I love you, it just means I accept you. I, and, and it doesn't matter what you do or, or anything like that, but I accept, I approve, um, I condone, I affirm everything you do, everything you are. Because I, I, I think as, as Christians, and folks, like this has got to be on your radar, um, we as at Crossroads, we believe in a traditional view of marriage, a traditional view of sexual identity, um, God created man and woman, X and Y chromosomes, and marriages between a man and a woman. But that definition today is seen as unloving. I think a lot of folks, if, if we went out and said, you know what, this is what we hold to, folks would say, well, that's old-fashioned, and that's unloving. I mean, loving, love should just accept and, and affirm and, and everything's okay. Um, and I think the focus of, of our world's definition of love today has, has been on, on how you feel about stuff. If you feel good about something, then it's okay. And so rather than saying, is this right or wrong, it's like, how do you feel about it? And, and do you experience this emotion of love? And, and if we say, well, well, those folks love each other, then th there's nothing wrong with that, is what the culture says. And I think if anyone gets in the way of those feelings, of those emotions, 
um, we will label them as unloving. And I think this is a very dangerous definition of love. And I think we have to be very careful. Because that definition of love, man, it, it just seeps into our worldview. It seeps into our churches. It seeps into just what's going on around us. And it becomes, sometimes, it becomes hard to stand and say, no, I, I don't believe that that's the definition of love. I don't believe that's what, what God says is love. And, and Paul's going to be speaking to this today, okay? He's going to be speaking to this. But, but you can see it happening in our culture, and you see it happening in our churches. Folks, there are mainline denominations that are struggling with this very issue right now in terms of how do we define love? What is love? And, and is that love or isn't that love? Um, and, and, and they're struggling with it. And, and uh, how do we accept people who have a different definition of love? How do we love people who have a different definition of love? How do we love them well? And, and so, I mean, you can think about it in terms of sexual identity and, and um, just all of that. You can even think about it just in terms of parenting. I think we've got to take a step back and just say, I, I, I think even just the concept of parenting is under attack. Like, hey, I've got to love my kid, and so I'm just going to approve of everything they do. And just, atta boy, you go for it. I love you, and, and, but folks, that's not how it works. Is that loving? Is it loving to not discipline our kids? <laughs> but, but I think we're up against that. I think we're up against that in terms of culture. It's like, hey, you know, just let them do whatever they want as long as they feel good, as long as they have a healthy self-esteem about themselves and are happy, that's love. But I do not believe that that is loving them well, loving our kids well. Now, folks, it's hard to discipline our kids. Um, man, we, we were experiencing it even just yesterday. <laughs> and it's hard, and it drains you, and it's like, oh, maybe it's easier just to not love them that way <laughs> and just, just let them run wild, like, oh, I love you, run wild, <laughs> be crazy. Um, but disciplining our kids uh, is loving. And, and I think that's the definition of love that we've got to explore what does it mean? What does it mean to, to love? And it, it goes back to the, I, I think this, this tension of love, it goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden, okay? Remember, God, in His love, He places Adam and Eve in this garden, and, and they're, they're walking with God, like in this love relationship. So God places Adam and Eve in love, in the midst of love in this garden, and everything's great, but Adam and Eve are like, hey, maybe God, you know, the, 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 temp, the temptation is maybe God doesn't love me fully. Maybe God doesn't love me all the way. Why is God holding out on me? Um, you know, God set these guardrails, these boundaries for love, and He said, this is where you live. This is what you do. This is your, your mission, your purpose. But here are the things that are outside of that. You know, eating the fruit from this tree on these two trees, that is, that is outside of those guardrails. And, and our natural inclination is to go there, isn't it? <laughs> like, we want to we see what that's about um, because we believe that we can find love outside of God's barriers, outside of God's fences, outside of the guardrails. We believe, man, there's got to be love outside of God. And that's not the truth. Um, see, God designed love 
And that's part of His plan. That's how He designed it. And when we're looking for love outside of God's plan, I think we're going to get hurt. Because I believe God, as a parent, he, he, he fathers us and He loves us. So, um, this thing of love, I mean, it's, it's hard. You know, when, when, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, okay, they, they had the law, because they figured out, you know, the, the best way to love God is just follow these rules. And the Pharisees asked Jesus, what, what's the most important rule? And they were trying to trick Him. And Jesus says, love God, and then love others as you love yourself. And so, Jesus summarizes the whole law as, as love, and it's like, oh, got some songs going on there. Um, but but, but how, do you, how do we love? What does this look like? And so, turn with me, Philippians um, chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, because Paul is going to define love for us. He's going he's to speak to these Philippians and say, I love you, and this is how I want you to love. Okay, so let's read it together. Philippians, towards the end of your Bible, chapter 1, verse 7 onwards. Now, he's just come out of verse 6 where he said, hey, um, I'm confident that God has begun this good work in you. He's going to complete it. He's going to take it to the end, to the day of Christ. And then he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all in Philippi, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, so we're going to kind of unpack it. Paul's first going to say, guys, I love you. Believers in Philippi, I have Christ's affection for you. I love you. I have you in my heart. And then, and then he's going to pray for them. And he's going to pray that their love would abound more and more, that there would be an abundance and lots of this love. And he's going to define that love. But let's look at it. Um, Paul's love for the Philippians. Uh, he starts off and he says, hey, it's right for me to feel this way. It's right for me to be confident that God, who started something really good in you, God who's loving you, is going to complete this work. He's going to continue completing this work right until the end. Um, and he says, I have you in my heart. I think about you. I treasure you. I, you're in my heart. And and the world's definition of love would say, you're in my heart when I feel good about you and when things are going great. <laughs> That's the world's definition, correct? I, I love you at Valentine's Day and I love you when you've given me something good. And, I, and you know, Paul would go, hey, Philippians, I love you when you send those gifts to me. <laughs> but what does Paul say? He says, I love you in what circumstances? In which circumstances does he love them? He says, guys, I care about you, have you in my heart when, when things are going well, when things are rocking and things are, I'm out there preaching the gospel and people are getting saved, man, it's great. And I, and I have you in my heart then. But he says, I also have you in my heart 
when I'm in chains for the gospel. And, and we know from Paul's story, if you go and read Acts and just mark every time Paul gets like beaten, I mean, he does a list there because not all it's recorded. I mean, he gets shipwrecked, he gets bitten by snakes, he, like, he gets locked up, he gets beaten, he gets stoned, all of this stuff happens. And Paul says, in the midst of those things, it doesn't matter about the circumstances. I have you in my heart. I have this deep affection for you. And so Paul's saying, guys, it doesn't really matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter if things are going great or not. I have this love for you. And so Paul's modeling what love looks like. It's not based on circumstances. And he says, I, I love you no matter the circumstances. And then he goes on to say that we share or we participate together in God's grace. And this would have been really cool for the Philippians because, I mean, imagine if our church was started by the Apostle Paul. You know, we go like, I mean, he's the man. You know, this is the Apostle Paul. And I mean, he's got stuff figured out. And, and man, he is just an amazing guy. And if he loves us, we must be something really special. And Paul says, you know what? We share in God's grace. We participate in God's grace. You know what Paul's saying there? He says, hey, Philippians, you guys need God's grace. You, you really need God's grace because you guys are kind of messed up. You know what else he's saying? I need God's grace. As Paul, the apostle, the guy who's planted churches and done all this stuff, he's like, we share in God's grace. He says, like, you guys need God's grace. I need God's grace. I'm not above you. I'm not like this champion, perfect guy. He's saying we all need, we all, we all share, we all participate together in God's grace. And so what, basically what he's saying is love doesn't matter about the position. Like if you're in authority over someone or if, if you're the servant or if, if you're the, the sibling or the parent or the child, he's like love is not dictated by this, this power or position. And so Paul says that, he goes on to explain that he has the same love or the same affection that Christ had, that Jesus has. And so Paul is saying, hey, I'm following Christ's example. See, I think, I think Paul understood the cross. And, and, and okay, this is my theory here. Paul, uh, we know this. Paul studied under Gamaliel, okay? Gamaliel was around when Jesus was crucified. So I have this theory that maybe Paul was in Jerusalem or at least heard a lot about the crucifixion. And, and, he, and if you think about Saul at that point, what do you think Saul's view of the crucifixion would have been? He actually says it. He says, to unbelievers, the cross is stumbling block or foolishness. He probably looked at this Jesus Christ guy and said, like, I mean, that's foolish. This guy thinks he's somebody, he does all this teaching, and now he's on a cross. And, and, and I, I wonder if Paul, I, I don't know this, but I wonder if Paul was there. I wonder if he, he sat in on some of the, the trial, or if he maybe, you know, looked out of his window and saw Golgotha, saw the cross, and thought, man, foolishness, foolishness. And this guy said he, he was God's son. But when Jesus reveals himself to Paul, to Saul, who then becomes Paul, when he reveals himself to him, the cross goes from being foolishness to making total sense and saying the cross is an exhibition. The cross is the pinnacle of God's love. 
I think Paul could then agree with, with John and with Jesus' words, for God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son to die for us. See, I think Paul gets the cross. And so he says, Philippians, I want you to love as Jesus loves, because I love as Jesus loved. See, the cross was foolishness at first, but now the cross makes sense, and, and the cross is a picture, is, is the, the, it's the best image we have of love. If you want to know if God loves you or not, just look at the cross, folks. Look at the cross. That'll just, if you have any doubt about God's love for you, look at the cross. And so Paul says, hey, I love you as Jesus. I have the same affection that Jesus has for you guys, same kind of love. And so he says, uh, then he prays for them. He's like, and, and I want to pray for you. He says, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would have that same love. That, that, and let's look at his prayer, verse 9 onwards. Um, this is Paul's prayer for the, the church at Philippi. And he says, this is my prayer, that your love, you guys, the church at Philippi, that your love may abound, and, and that's the word abundance, abound, more, increase, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Isn't that weird? That your, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern, uh, what's this got to do with love? That you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, let's unpack Paul's prayer. Uh, kind of three things there. First of all, he says, may your love abound more and more, increase, grow, mature, develop, but, but may it grow in knowledge. And the, and the word there that is used for knowledge is um, oh, just for, uh, epinosis. Epinosis. Okay, and epinosis is very specific. It is not the kind of knowledge that we get from Google or Wikipedia, okay? Because a lot of people think that, that um, if you know stuff, if you have information, if you can quote the facts, that that's knowledge. The word here is very different. Epinosis is knowing, relationally knowing God. It's very specific. And so he's saying, your love may abound in knowing God. In, in having a deep and intimate relationship with God, not knowing the facts about God. Because I, I think that's, that's, this is super important. Um, there are seminaries where people can go and train and get taught thousands of facts about the God of the Bible. And often they'll use it that way, the God of the Bible. And, and you know, there's this history, lessons, all of that. But you can leave without ever meeting the God of the Bible. You can leave without meeting Yahweh Himself. You can leave without knowing a Father, a Heavenly Father that loves you. So Paul's saying, guys, I don't want you just to know about love. I don't want you just to know about God. I want you to experience it. I want you to be in relationship with it. I want you to know it relationally and intimately. And, and, and he says it's an intelligent love. The, the message... Um, the writer says, I want you to have an intelligent love, a smart love. Not a love that's, that's just based on feelings, but a love that's based on knowing God. Knowing God. And then he says, deep insight. So, 
this knowledge of God, but also this deep insight. And he says, I, I, want you to, I want your love to abound and be more and more an increase from seeing God, seeing Him, being in relationship with Him, being, seeing God's face and knowing Him that way. And so as a re result of knowing this love, you'll be able to discern what true love is. And, and Paul is, is alluding to this image of, um, when, when we talk about discernment, um, the Philippians would have been very aware of this image. Um, you know, today we have metal and glass containers and all of that. Back in the day of Paul and Jesus, pottery was all that, you know, they didn't have plastic. Tupperware folks did not make a living, okay? Uh, but it was all, of, who sells pottery? Is there like a, like someone who sells pottery? Any pottery potties? Pottery barn. Pottery barn would be a rocking place, okay? Um, and so, folks would make pottery, okay? And, and if you understand the process of making pottery, these guys had to go and dig up this clay. They'd have to kind of knead it really well, kind of trample it and get it all smooth and, and to the same consistency, like, so that it was all the same. And then they'd form this pot that allow it to set, and then they'd have to fire it, okay? And they didn't have these fancy kilns that, that you can buy, but they'd have to make a fire and, and fire it. And so, this is a long process because it took, you know, a day to get the clay all figured out and get it the right consistency and knead it and work it through and get it all good. And then you'd make these pots and then you'd gather all your pots or your cups or your bowls and you'd place them and you'd go and have to cut firewood and get all that and get a really hot fire and fire them really well. And so let's say you made 50 pots. Not all those pots turned out well. A lot of them would have weak spots in them. And maybe as they were firing, they would, they would kind of shift because different consistencies of clay do different things at heat, and there'd be a crack. And so what folks would do back then is, if you made these 50 pots, you were lucky if maybe half of them were really good. But that's a lot of work for just half the pots. And so what they'd do is they'd, they'd take this kind of wax, this, this very light wax, but it was, kind of, it was hard, it was a stiff wax, and they'd fill in the cracks with wax. And so then if you went to go sell your pots, now all of a sudden you could sell like 45 out of the 50 pots instead of 25. You can make a lot of money. And so when you were buying a pot, you would take this pot and you would lift it up to the light and you would discern if the pot was good. You see, the wax would let more light through and the solid clay would let less light or no light through at all. And so if you could see any kind of like, oh, there's even just a little glimmer of light coming through here, it meant that there was wax, and it wasn't solid, it, wasn't, it didn't have integrity, it couldn't hold water, it wasn't useful. And so you'd, if you didn't do that, if you just kind of said, oh, just give me three of those, and you know, someone wrapped them up in paper real quick, uh, and you got them home, and you, you know, went to go make your pot of tea, <laughs> your pot would start leaking on the fire, because the wax, as it got warm, it would run out, the water would run out, and the wax would melt, and your pot, I mean, all you could do is then throw it at someone. I mean, that's all you could do, you know. It's the, the whole Greek tradition. I'm sure that's where it came from, throwing plates. It's like, ah, oh, this one's bad, this one's bad. But um, it, it was worthless. It didn't, it didn't serve its function. It, it, it had no purpose anymore because it wasn't, it wasn't whole. And so Paul's saying, guys, I want you to take your love and I want you to, to, 
lift your light, lift your love up to the light of God and compare and, and discern your love. And is your love whole? Does it have cracks in it? Is it, is it maybe broken? Does it have flaws in it? Does it have weak spots in it? And I think it's important that we have to know that we have to lift our love up to the light of God and not to the pots alongside of us. See, because this is what we tend to do, don't we? We kind of go like, well, at least my crack's not as big as that guy's crack. <laughs> All right. At least my flaw is not as serious as that person's flaw, okay? <laughs> Sorry. That came out bad. Uh, all right. We're not that kind of church. Um, you see, folks, I mean, let's face it, we all have cracks, okay? We really do. <laughs> but, but, um, but God wants us to, to compare. If, if we're looking at our love, if we're... If we're asking ourselves, am I loving well? What we need to be doing is saying, we need to take that question to God and not to our neighbors or, or folks around us and say, well, at least I'm loving better than this person. At least I'm, I'm more loving than those people. Because that's where we get into this whole thing of like, well, they're unloving and they're really bad, and, but I'm really good. Or maybe you say, you know, I'm not very loving. I mean, you might look around this church and go like, compared to some of the people in this church, I'm not very loving. Because we have some pretty amazing folks here. But God wants you to, to lift up this pot um, to the light of His love and see where the weaknesses are there. And so that's what discernment is. Discernment is us taking our lives and saying, God, show me where, I'm, where I have flaws, where I have faults, where maybe I've been, because this, we tend to do the same thing, don't we? We want to cover up our, our cracks with wax, don't we? We want to go like, we want to hide our flaws. And so we, we kind of cover them up and, and we, we camouflage them. But God says, no, I've come to, to heal you. I've come to make you whole. Remember, He's the potter, we the clay. And if we allow Him to, to mold us and make us, He'll make us so that there are no cracks, so that when, when the, the fire of the furnace comes, when we're fired, when, when the challenges of the world come at us, we'll come out the other end beautiful and whole and with integrity, with no leaks or, or flaws. And so we need to allow God to, to be the potter in our lives so that we can become useful and so that our love is, is something that's beautiful. And so then he, he, Paul goes on and he says, okay, if we allow God to change the way we love, if we allow God to love us and we know His love and we know it from, from a, a knowledge, a relational deep knowledge of seeing God and knowing Him um, and, and discerning God's love in our lives, what happens then is, is we'll be filled, verse 11, we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, God, when He, when he forms us then, as, as we allow Him to mold us into this, this clay pot without flaws, without faults, we become useful. And we're we filled, we overflow with fruit, um, fruit of righteousness, good things. God's goodness then 
um, we can contain this goodness that God pours into our lives, and we can overflow into other people's lives. And it's, it's this fruit. Um, and, and again, fruit is, you've you got to remember, these guys didn't have Walmart and refrigeration or all of that. When, when they would watch fruit on a tree, they'd watch their grapes, even their olives, kind of have to, I have a cherry tree right now that just went absolutely, we haven't had cherries on this tree for like years. But this year, I mean, there's like millions of little blossoms. And I'm hoping that everything just works right. And it's going to be great if there's like a million cherries on this tree. And yeah, for the birds. <laughs> you know, they're going to love that. But, but this is what he's saying. I want you to, to, this fruit. And they knew this fruit, you had to wait for fruit. They couldn't walk into their grocery store and just you know, get fruit from Mexico and all over the place. But you had to wait for this fruit to ripen, and then you could enjoy it. And there was a season of, of, of bounty, and they enjoyed that fruit. And then they'd have to wait a while again, but they, they longed for fruitfulness. And he says, you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And then in closing, he, he, he shares the whole purpose of this. What's the purpose of, of us loving well? See, and I think... The world's purpose of, of love is, is very selfish, isn't it? You know, I love you for what you can do for me. I love you because you're pleasing and, and you give me pleasure or, or you reward me or, or whatever, that, whatever you get. So often uh, the world's definition of love is, what do I get from this? And Paul says, no, I want you to love well. I want you to love well so that you glorify God so that God is praised. And he says, I want you to love well, not so that you would get praised. I don't want anyone to come and say, man, you're, a, you're an amazing, you love people really, really well. He's like, no, I want people to go like, wow, God has changed Saul, who was super unloving, to Paul, who is this amazing, loving guy, and it's God who did it. And so that the praise would not be for Paul, or the praise would not be for the Philippians, or the praise would not be for the people of Crossroads, but the praise would be for God, that God would be glorified and God would be praised. And so, I want to challenge us as a church to, to take our part, this love that we say, that, that we, we're loving people, okay, we are, but I want us each individually then to take it up to the light of the gospel, to the light of who God is, and discern and just ask the question, God, where am I, where am I lacking? Where do I have flaws? Where am I maybe thin? Where am I starting to crack? And, and would you allow God to, to change you and to, to know God's love, to, to know it relationally? to discern God's love, and then to allow God to make you fruitful. And so that, that was Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. And I believe it was his prayer for himself as well. And, and I want to close in prayer, and, and I want us, I, I'm going to say these words, but I'm going to put them in the first person. And I want you just to, in your mind, just pray along with me that, that this prayer would apply to us here at Crossroads. So let's pray. So, Father, our prayer is that, that our love may abound more and more, and that our love would abound in, in knowing You, and our, our love would abound in, in seeing You, in, in the depth of insight, in seeing You for who You are, knowing You. 
And Father, that our love would abound so that we may be able to discern what is best and what is pure. And that we may be pure and blameless on the day when you return, on the day that we meet you. And Father, that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Because that righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through you. It comes through the cross. And Father, the, the purpose of all of this, the purpose of our love, Lord, would not be for us. It would not be about us looking good or our church looking good or, or even our community looking good, but it would be all for the glory and praise of you. So, Father, would, would your love abound in our lives? Would we be able to discern what is pure and blameless? And, Lord, would we live in that kind of love? And Lord, it doesn't really matter what the world's definition of love is, Lord. We know what true love is. True love looks like the cross. True love is sacrifice in any and any, any and every circumstance. It doesn't matter what position we have over or under other people. Lord, true love is sacrificial. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for sending, the, sending your Son to the cross for us. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your death. And Jesus, thank you for your resurrection. So we may live in your love. Yeah, Jesus, thank you. Praise all in your name. All God's people said, Amen.